screw it. We're just going to talk about comics is brought to you by Shortbox. That's right. Somebody wanted to partner with us. Shortbox is an app and a website for safely buying and selling graded comic books. You can get it on iOS, Android, even a regular old computer. And they're trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industries. And Shortbox trusts us. Therefore... We have worth. Amazing. Uh, right now, they're doing a giveaway where you can win a free copy of The Dark Knight Returns number one, the 2018 printing signed by Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen. <laughs> Go to shortbox.com slash screw it to enter your email. No purchase necessary to be in the running. And that contest is going until March 10th, 2022. Download Shortboxed today. I will. Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. The only podcast in human history where two guys talk about something they like. Not just two guys, but two brothers, two comedian-ish people. Uh, I'm one of the two guys, brothers, co-hosts. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other co-host. My name is Kevin Hines. And... And uh, we are going over The Dark Knight Returns, uh, the four-issue, really four-book um, story done by Frank Miller, Klaus Janssen, and Lynn Varley back in 1986, one of the most seminal comic book stories of all time. We hate it. Yeah, this is we're, we're going to really tell you why this comic is trite, <laughs> uh, had no impact on the industry, and featured a forgettable character. <laughs> yeah, minor character, no impact, really unnoticed. If you're going to do a book like this... Pick a big character from the DC Pantheon. Not some no-name. Yeah. Uh, get... Uh, Creeper. Uh, the, the, uh, Woodrow. Woodrow, <laughs> the... Uh, uh, the tree? The tree guy. <laughs> <laughs> no longer name than that. Somebody like that. You know, somebody that you could really sink your teeth into. Swamp thinker. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are, of course, kidding. We love this comic book. Yeah, Dark Knight um, Returns is one of, if not the most impactful <laughs> comic. Uh, since we started reading comics. That's right. Um, since the 80s, I can't think of another comic that's had as big an impact as, yeah, it's except for Watchmen. Like, that's the only one that you could even bring up. And I think maybe I think this, this is bigger. bigger. I think this is bigger. Because it's Batman. Yeah, because it yeah. was an existing huge character. But definitely it's this and Batman. Those are the two. Uh, this and uh, Watchmen. Watchmen. Those are the two big ones. And nothing's been as big. Like, the next biggest thing to impact comics is probably Image Comics. Yeah, <laughs> right, the like artist-owned sort of, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, after that, you'd have to go to, like, movies. Then, like, it's, Woodru like, then it's Woodrue. Then Woodrue, <laughs> right, and then um, Ambush Bug. Right, right, right. Um, probably the, just the existence of the MCU and just, like, m movies would be the next biggest impact on comics, but yeah. that's a whole other thing. Yeah, that's a different whole thing. So um, if you listen to our first episode, you heard Woodru, the... Woodrue, the Florenic Man, that's the word I was trying to look for. Okay, great. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember him in Alan Moore's comics. It was great. Yeah. So um, we, uh, our first episode was hugely long. Uh, no promises about this episode either. Uh, um, although there's a there's a chance it might be shorter because we got a lot of our exposition out of the way. Yeah, we talked a lot about just the general impact of this comic and our uh, general in introduction to it. I do want to, although I'm going to get into more of it now. Sure, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the animated version. So, Buckle up, everybody, or go go take a shower and come yeah, back. Come if you back, want no, to it might be into the left. Let this then. run, like um, a long shower, not one of those quickies. <laughs> Waste some water. I did. I mean, um, to to lean into us being like old men talking about our glory days or whatever. 
I do think like reading mainstream comics in the 80s was really special. Like I'm a fan of music. Uh, I was born in 1970. So like in the 80s when I was like reading music magazines for the first time, you'd read about like the 1960s and really feel like you missed out. You'd read about like, you know, the arrival of the Beatles and the emergence of Bob Dylan and Mm -hmm. stuff like Woodstock. And then you'd be like, well, man, the 80s seemed to really suck compared to the 60s. Now, of course, lots of great stuff happened in the 80s. You start to learn to appreciate that there's always good things. But Mm -hmm. in the 60s was a moment for sure. Mm -hmm. 80s comics was a moment. Like... And it was it was primarily because of Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, but lots of stuff. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the whole black and white boom showing up, the direct comics, Secret Wars, Crisis, like yeah. um, Claremont's X-Men, although that started in 75, like got real big, became huge yeah. at this time. And, and Simonson's Thor, uh, indie stuff like Love and Rockets, comic yeah. books was the really black and white boom in general hits. Uh, yeah. Uh, direct market comic book shops is a big Ooh. deal. Like a lot of things sort of changed then and Kevin and I sort of were there like witnessing it as like big time young comic book fans. And it was really exciting. It was yeah. fun to to be part of that and to feel it happen. If anything, as a kid, I, I, I think to me it was just like this is what comic books are. There's always comic book shops. There's always superhero stuff. There's always something else uh, going on on the side that's a little different and yeah. maybe cooler, maybe harder to penetrate. Like I just felt... In- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for example, just felt like, oh, that's the latest indie craze instead of, like, the biggest indie craze ever. Right. Uh, but and, to me, like, I don't know. And you get spoiled by things like yeah. Dark Knight Watchmen. You're like, oh, every couple of years, one of the senior creators does something that's a bit above and beyond, and it changes everything. Yeah, that just, that's just what happens. When, comic, when, when at least to my opinion, uh, mainstream comics got, like, worse, because uh, I think they ebb and flow. There's they, they have points where, like, I think they're firing on all cylinders, and there's points where... They're not as good. Uh, when it got bad, I think to me it was like a wake-up call being like, oh, I might not always enjoy reading Spider-Man comics. Right. Um, that's interesting because I read these old 60s ones and those were great. And I read these 80s ones and those were great. But now I don't like these comics. Right. Uh, but, uh, now, of course, every era has ups and downs. And whatever we happen to pick as yeah. a down era for comics, something great happened then. And for sure. For a lot of people, it's when you started reading comics, that's the best stuff. There's something special about when you fall in love with comics, and yeah. we're not looking to take that joy away from anybody. Yeah. I started watching Saturday Night Live. During... Our, our joy is better than everyone else's, but we don't want to take that away. Ours is better, yes. Uh, I started watching SNL like in the Eddie Murphy years, the um, Dick Ebersol years, the early yeah. 80s. Pretty universally seen as a really bad time and also just like not representative of the show in general. But... That's when I was 12 or 13, getting to stay up late watching the show. It was really exciting. It holds a special place in my heart that, you know, doesn't it doesn't really matter how how good it was, according to a, you know, uh, a critic looking at it from afar. I I love those episodes. That's why Will refuses to get rid of his Joe Piscopo tattoo. I I don't regret it. And don't forget about my Gary Kroger hologram. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Yeah. When you discover something that is sort of. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, everlasting. I guess something that just goes on and on and on. When you first start watching that or reading that or or enjoying that, it it there's something about that. It's like this is this this is the show or this is the movie that I fell in love with. So I don't care that it's now considered sort of bad. Check out this tangent. I don't know if I've ever told you this story. Oh, yeah. When I was a when I was like 13 or something, 
Um, no, you didn't tell me anything about 13. I've never told you anything about when I was 13? You skipped that in a lot of okay. your stories. I went to see the Smothers Brothers. They came to New Fairfield, Connecticut mm-hmm. at the Candlewood Dinner Theater. Uh, Mom took me and saw the Smothers Brothers, right? Do their, like, act. Like, did you, you ask to go? I think I, you know, I think I did. I was, like, buying all the stand-up comedy albums. and. What did Mom think of that request? I think she was into it. Okay. Uh, I remember it being like not that big a deal. Okay. Like I think it was more like, wow, I can't believe something as cool as the Smothers Brothers is close to Danbury, <laughs> Connecticut. I know that sounds crazy, but like <laughs> they were like a big name or whatever. Sure they are. So I saw George Carlin at the same theater mm-hmm. back around the same time. So saw the Smothers Brothers and somehow mom got me backstage and I met them. I did not know this. Yes. And I got their autographs, which I lost or something. I met Tom and Dick Smothers. Just like, oh, this is my son. He's like a fan of comedy or whatever. Uh, you know, and they had just been on Saturday Night Live as like a little, not like a musical guest, but like as a, this would happen during the Deck Ebersole years, like Harry Anderson would come on and do magic right. tricks or. It happened a lot, even later oh, okay. on, right? Penn and Teller would do stuff. Right, Penn and Teller would do stuff, yeah. So they had been on doing something. I had no knowledge of them as like an institution you know, their TV show had been, like, sort of famously, like, subversive. Yeah. And hired, like, Steve Martin and Albert Brooks to write for them. Woody Allen? No. I don't think they had... Woody Allen was already too big. Okay. I forget what he wrote for him, but... Um, Sid, the Caesars Hour he wrote okay. for. The Sid Caesars show after show of shows. Um, but, you know, they were... they were, And in addition to just being a hit in their own right. But I didn't know any of that. I just knew that they had been on Saturday Night Live yeah. and... This show, so they asked me who my favorite SNL cast member was, and I told them it was Tim Kazarinski, who was a then current member. Oh man! How weird must I have appeared to them? (laughs) This like, and I was a young thirteen year old. I was not like not gonna make it. I was was a a, like a like almost. I must have looked like an eight year old. You Mm -hmm. know, this is like puberty had not the puberty fairy had not visited me yet. And they're t- talking about Tim Kazarinski to the Smothers Brothers. That's weird, right? Yeah, it's very weird. It's a weird pick, <laughs> even from that cast, that had Eddie Murphy. It had Eddie Murphy. Even Joe Piscopo Could makes more decent, sense yeah. than Tim. Ka- I mean, certainly at that time, Piscopo sure. was a star. Yeah, but I think I always, you know, I always, I always favor the George Harrisons of of a particular <laughs> sure. ensemble, the overlooked ones. You don't want the coolest one. Anyway. Um, that happened. So Dark Knight Returns. The Smothers Brothers died the next day from shame. <laughs> Both of them, yeah. Um, so what, what do we want to say about the animated series? Let's get into that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I briefly talked about it last. I'm, I'm looking up the name of that director. Episode. Um, first, I want to talk about the Batman, the animated series, because, like, that show was seminal in, in the animation of Batman. And there was an episode, I think it's season two, called Legends of the Dark Knight, where it's these kids telling stories about Batman. And first kid tells a story that's animated in the style of, like, Dick Sprang Batman. They're running across giant prop typewriters and it's a sillier joker it's really fun and then the second version this little girl tells her story of batman which is the dark knight returns it's basically this issue this mutant battle issue okay um it has a little bit of uh the the fight from the first issue where he like puts his hands through the wall and grabs the guy and pulls him back or is that this issue as well his hands like go through the wall and grab somebody and pull them back that's this issue okay so it starts with that but then it sort of cuts to him going to the mutant uh, uh, mud battle. Mud battle. 
but he's t- it's it's the sequence with the Batmobile that we'll cover. He jumps out, fights the mutant, but then it's the ending battle where he wins. Right. In this issue, he has one battle where he loses, then he right. comes back a second time and wins. So it sort of combines the cooler parts of both those things. But it's got lines like, um, "This isn't uh, this is this is an operating table, and I'm the surgeon." That line is in there. He breaks a leg in that cartoon. It's sort of hidden behind lightning, but like if you know the story, it's adapting. Like you see it. His voice, I think, is a. Uh, Michael Ironside might be the voice. Okay. He's really good as a, as a Batman Dark Knight voice. And I remember as a kid having read this comic a number of times being like, this is the coolest thing ever that's been animated. <laughs> like what a, this you know, again, we get Batman the Animated Series. It was a new high yeah. standard for good cartoons. Like to have a, a knowing Easter egg yeah. to a not that old comic. At that point, it was like five years before or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, probably like that. But it's still, it was the Batman. I mean, it was the comic that inspired the movie that inspired the cartoon, so. Yeah, uh, really uh, cool. Uh, and then uh, a few years ago, maybe more than a few years ago now. Yeah, Michael Ironside. They finally adapted the, uh, the DC has been doing lots of animated films. Yep, that's it. Will showing me a still from it. Uh, they, they, DC's been doing lots of animated movies and they're generally like, they're generally more current stories, but every once in a while they do some of the, the classic. classic stories. And I think this is the first time they ever did this, but when they did the Dark Knight Returns, they did it as two parts. Yeah. Normally it's like an hour and a half movie that adapts the Jason Todd, uh, uh, Red Hood story, or that's adapting the Judas Contract was a more recent one that's mm-hmm. also a classic, but it's like one, one movie or, um... This, and if they have to, they'll simplify the story or... They cut a lot of stuff out. Uh, sometimes they throw in more characters just to have, like... Or different characters to have, like, a more Justice league feel. Um, and I've seen some of them. They're pretty good. Some of them aren't. Like, it, it's basically what happened after Bruce Timm stopped making the Justice League TV show is he started just making these occasional movies. Like, they do, like, two or three a year, I think. Okay. Um, but when this one came out, it's a big deal. They're adapting one of the best Batman stories ever, if not yeah. the best. Uh and when they announced it, they were like, we're doing it as two parts, which seems crazy. That means it's three hours, twice as long as any other one. But what that let them do is just leave, leave in lots of pacing stuff. They didn't need to cut much. Like, the movie starts with the car racing scene from... The first issue. First issue, which, if you're looking to cut stuff... You could cut that. You could cut that. Like, it's really cool, and it's moody, and it sets up a lot of themes, but you can cut it. But that's in there. So each uh, movie is two issues. Um, yeah, and it's great, right? It's like really good. It's, it's really, really, really well. good. The voice acting is really good. Uh, Peter Weller is Batman in this, uh, and he is great. I'm going to say the director is Jay uh, Oliva, and Bob Goodman is the writer. Um, so kudos to them because they delivered. They I mean, really, they really nailed it. Um, they make some handful of changes. We talked a little bit uh, last episode that the Two Face. Uh, the bomb that had been sort of tampered by the Joker, they changed that to being that the Two-Face... Did it himself. Did it himself because he's sort of miserable and suicidal and doesn't want to live anymore. I kind of like that change better. And I think that's a good change. Uh, the other big change that they did was they took out all the narration. Like, this book is mostly Batman or other characters narrating what's going on caption boxes. Right, which gives it that detective novel feel, right. you know, the sort of, like, Philip Marlowe, you know, narrating, she walked in my office and blah, blah, blah. But it like, just means there's very little di- real dialogue in these stories. Right. There's dialogue, but there's just less of it. I mean, there's television set constantly. They took it all out and just put it into his... Uh, Speeches. His mouth, and so he yeah. says these things. Some of it you lose. You lose some of the... Uh, this is a good death lines that he says throughout the story. It's harder to work some of those in. Some of them it's pretty deftly inserted. I'm going to talk about it during the mutant fight because I think it's really cool how they handle some of those things. 
Um, and it just becomes like tough guy quips instead of tough guy captions. It really works really well. Yeah. I don't think it's as good as the comic. But yeah, the reading the comic is, is still a better experience. The fact that it's close is crazy. I mean, Kevin and I watched like 75% of it. He watched the whole thing and I came in at the end and watched the last 75%. And it's really fun. And yeah. if, uh, and you know what? If you are put off by the density of words in this book and you'd rather just watch the movie, it's not a bad way to experience yeah, it's, it. It's on HBO Max. Uh, it's it's the best DC animated movie adaption that I've seen. I haven't seen them all by any stretch of the imagination. The only other one that I really enjoyed was Year One. Some of them I don't like. I didn't really like All-Star Superman, though I love the comic. Uh, there's other ones that are good, but this was just like, this one's just genuinely good. Like, if you haven't read the comic, it's probably good. Uh, it's just really fun, and I can't believe how well they did it. And I'm glad they did it. Like, it seems like when they were, it felt like they were like, let's adapt Dark Knight Returns. Like, ooh, tough one. we got to do this right. Yeah. So how, what do we need to do to make sure we do this right? It's like, let's do two parts. Let's put some time into it. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, so I'd recommend watching that, but I'd also recommend watching, if you've, if you've got HBO Max, go watch the Legends of the Dark Knight episode. It's a fun little episode. It's a yeah. little brief, the middle segment with the Dark Knight Returns. The animation of that is much poorer than this movie. Right, they didn't have the money or the time. But I remember when I saw it as, whatever, like a 19, 20-year-old, I forget when that episode aired, being blown away by it because it was I couldn't believe how cool it looked. Yeah. And now I watched it after watching the movie and I'm like, oh yeah, this is animated poorly, but it's still cool they did it. And they they did get the style. Like it is yeah. recognizably a Dark Knight style, also recognizably um yeah. Dick Sprang style. Like Yeah, it's just a little it's a little bit with some animated feel to it and it's really cool. Uh I love the shot of him in the Batmobile. Yeah. Uh, Kevin has shown me a still from the animated series part. Yeah, this is the animated series version of him. Very re- cool. Really, really fun. Uh, also, like, Robin is along for the whole ride because it's being told by this girl who looks like Carrie Kelly, so she is the Robin of that story. Okay. Each kid basically looks like the Robin of his story. Oh, wow. It's really fun. Um, all right, so... So that, that's basically it. Those are the cool adaptions of this. Um, what do you think... So how... as In terms of quality of adaptation, which is better? Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson movies, or... Uh, this adaptation of Dark Knight because they're they're both similarly like fan favorite, difficult yeah. to adapt. Obviously, Lord of the Rings is on a huger scale. I think it's pretty close. I think the Lord of the Rings is harder. Yeah, it's a harder adaption. So I'm, I'm more impressed at how good Lord of the Rings is. Yeah, because I can't believe that movie is good. <laughs> yeah, not uh, just good, that's real some, good. Some people don't like it, I guess. But like I hear people make fun of how often they're just like walking across mountains and stuff. I, I love it all. And it's also a fair representation of the book because that book yeah. would have like 50 pages yeah. of like... There's 30 endings at the end of Return of the King. I loved uh, 29 of them. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know. I like the extended cut versions of those. Me too. I yeah. would cut maybe one of the extended cut scenes and that's my perfect version of it. <laughs> uh, Someday Kevin will release the Kevin cut. It's the extended version with this one less Faramir yeah, scene. It's like one scene that just felt a little stuck in there. So. No, no Faramir. All the Faramir scenes are in. Those okay. are great. Uh, but yeah, it's um, that's really tough. I'd probably go Lord of the Rings just because I think it is a tougher It's adaptation. a tougher adaptation and doing it in live action live and stuff like that. much tougher. I mean, imagine seeing this in live action. It'd be, it, this would also be hard in live action. Something about the stillness of the pictures, uh, like we're going to talk a little bit like this, this repeated image of the mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, no, still in consultation. Got his still two in consul- hands up in the air and he's kind of just 
pushing off the reporters, basically. And it's really funny the second time. Yeah, because you see him like in the same pose. And then the new mayor looks almost the same, just like yeah. a slightly different pose, doing the same sort of energy. Yeah, we get a lot of good comic strip uh, conventions at work here. You get a little bit of that in an an- the animated movie. Like, you have him like, do like a very simple motion of like mm-hmm, raising mm-hmm. his hand up, and it's very funny when they repeat it. If that repeated in a live-action movie, it would feel weird to me. So there's certain things you lose a little bit. And, like, when you replicate shots in the cartoon that are in the comic, uh, it look it looks almost looks the same in the animated series. It's not quite Frank Miller style. Live-action would just sort of be like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of that image. So animation gives you sort of advantages when you're adapting that stuff to begin with if you can have the money to take advantage of it. Um, so I pick Lord of the Rings. But okay. reluctantly. Reluctantly. Still, we respect the adaptation of Dark Knight Returns. So, um, so now we're going to get into, this is book two. In 20 minutes, we're starting. This is early for us. Uh, the Dark Knight Triumphant. Yes. Uh, what's the high-level What's the high level synopsis of this episode? What there, are we about to go over? There's been a mutant gang in Gotham. Yeah. They're violent, hyper-violent, vicious chaos spreaders mm-hmm. uh, that can't be reasoned with. And Batman's going to take them down. Okay, yeah, so, and they, they are the antagonist of this. And of, and uh, this is our, you know, the last issue set up Batman returning. So now we have Batman in the story right away. Although I know why Kevin Hines likes this issue. Because yeah. it opens on a whole page of the real star of Batman comics, Commissioner Jim Gordon. You say that mockingly. He is just as good as Batman, <laughs> if not better. And just by like, better, I mean way, way, way better. <laughs> so we open on... Um, it's sort of like an internal monologue of Jim Gordon. What this monologue does, if you if you didn't know already, um, this is not your father's Gotham. This is a brutal, extra-violent Gotham. The characters are all beaten down, world-weary, and emotionally broken. And so Jim Gordon kind of reflects on his time in Gotham. And the examples are just, um, they really shake you up. Uh, one thing that's changed in the animated series is, and this is a bunch about Gordon smoking cigars and being sick from them. Uh, doesn't smoke in the movie. Chews gum. Okay. Kicked the habit before the the like he kick he quit smoking in the series in the comic book version, but in the movie he never smokes because I think they don't like to put smoking in a kids movie. I approve of that. Um. Uh. Yes, and I don't think that takes away from the Gordon characterization in that movie at all. Yeah. So this is Gordon. He's walking to get groceries for his wife, and what we establish in this monologue is his wife Sarah. How much he loves her how sad he is about the state of things in Gotham and how brutal it is, right? So uh, I'll just read a little bit here. I pass a liquor store, run my eyes over the rigid features of the hunk of metal that used to be a friendly merchant. I wonder how many men he's had to kill just to stay in business. Um, I see a high-priced car gleaming like new in the streetlight, once a symbol of wealth and power, now just another target in a city of victims. And then this bit. A young boy dashes past me, healthy, dirty, and beautiful. You don't want to know what he makes me think of. So just a casual reference to child abuse yeah. and uh, molestation here in the second row of panels of the second issue of Dark Knight Returns. I think this is a good stretch. Well, let's read that again as Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> Instead's narration, as always, would ruin anything of yeah, nuance. But I love to, I love to stick it in. I like to hear how Stanley. If he, I he wonder how many men he's had to kill just to stay in business. A young boy dashes past me, healthy, dirty, and beautiful. You don't want to know what he makes me think. <laughs> <of>. <laughs> yeah. Turns it into like Fozzie Bear. Yeah, it sounds funny. It sounds like. Uh. <laughs> um, 
And uh, we also get Sarah. Um, I curse Sarah not meaning it for her hippie vegetarian recipes and the bean sprouts she forgot to pick up. Um, uh, he lo- Sarah's his true love. It's his second wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learn in Batman Year One the story of his first wife and meeting Sarah and falling in love with her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But this is far, far in the future. and um, They don't end up together in Batman Year One, though. They don't end up together. She no. leaves. Uh, but here it's all it's all worked out. And so uh, at the end of this page, a mutant, one of the gang that is the antagonist of this issue, shows up to Gordon. And these mutants wear like these goggles of like one, like a, like a Cyclops visor. They've got like nails coming out of their head. They're generally all white, no hair. Uh, as we said in the past, they look sort of like orcs. Yeah. Uh, they just are so weird looking. I mean, Miller's art throughout these issues are very stylized where nothing looks very natural. It all looks very blocky and rigid and, and tough. Although often the 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 bigger panels are beautiful and fluid. The, the little panels are these, they're just, everything's, this is a really male story. Like everything yeah. is hard, fighting, battle. Uh, I mean, I dig it, but uh, it definitely mm-hmm. makes that choice. So a mutant comes up. And challenges Gordon. I hear a girlish giggle and the cold oiled sound of a gun being cocked behind me. I see the face of a killer who isn't yet old enough to shave. He pulls out a massive gun. I think of Sarah. The rest is easy, which yep. is uh, repeated many times throughout the series. If he had a catchphrase, that'd be it for this comic. Yeah. Um, we then cut. We have a like, little brief silhouette of Batman just sort of looming in shadows, climbing over a city, uh, over Gotham City. But then we cut to Robin, Carrie Kelly, the new Robin putting on her costume for the first time. So she has witnessed Batman has saved her. She's seen the bat signal and here she's decided just to become Robin and she's bought a Robin costume and she's putting it on her. She's picked it herself. She's got it. Yeah. She saved lunch money for weeks. um, And she is sneaking out from her hippie liberal parents to go practice scaling buildings. There's a fun bit where uh, on the news in the background, you hear, I've just been handed this bulletin. Commissioner James Gordon has been shot and killed. And last time we saw him, he was pulling his gun and yeah. approaching the mutants. And then the next caption is, oops, sorry, folks, I read it wrong. Gordon has shot and killed a 17-year-old. <laughs> what a mistake to make. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, we also hear that Carrie Kelly's parents are liberal hippies and sort of bad parents, right? Yeah. But, like, here's this moment where, like, it just seems to hate liberals, right? They're like, what a bring down, 17 years old. Machismo with a badge, just like Chicago, which is sort of saying like, oh, Gordon shouldn't have killed this kid. And part of me is like, maybe he shouldn't have. Maybe he shouldn't have, yeah. Maybe he could have stopped this kid without murdering him. I mean, it's if you're if you're the type of person who's anti-violence and anti-cops yeah. committing like brutality, um, which I am, uh, this book has skewed the world yeah. such that like it's on the cop side like the criminals are uh, although there are bad cops in the world of gotham like yeah. the criminals are so violent and out of control that the trigger happy cops are actually correct in the world of dark Knight. yes yeah and i guess that's where that's the only parts that bristle up against me it's sort of like i don't mind making fun of uh, uh these hippie parents who are smoking uh, marijuana and ignoring their child that's yeah. fine it's an exaggeration i mean it's true for some parents obviously uh, it's certainly a heightened version of bad parenting from that side. But the idea of, like, it seems like it's basically saying, it's like, these idiots don't think Gordon was right. It's like, I don't know. I didn't see the fight, obviously. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a middle ground. It doesn't sound good when the commissioner of police shoots a 17-year-old. Yeah, I sort of see where they're coming from. But this from. is a heightened This is a yeah. heightened crime story. So, like, it within this world, we know that Jim Gordon is a good guy. And if he shot some 17-year-old, that kid deserved it. 
Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, Robin, Carrie Kelly, goes out on a ledge to basically try out her Robining. Yeah, we get Robining. We also get another look at her sort of slang. Mm-hmm. Um, wins aces, and the ledge isn't too much smaller than a balance beam, so we know that Carrie speaks almost exclusively in sarcasm, so yeah. whatever she says, the opposite is true, therefore it is a lot smaller than a balance beam. Sure, just slippery about a mile up. Walls keep me real clean, like under a car. Figure I didn't spend two weeks lunch money on the suit. Um, right, this this sort of figure I didn't it's like a it's like a weird phrase they use in this future world, right? Yeah. Figure I didn't means I just did this. <laughs> right. So I did spend two weeks lunch money on this suit. Uh, it is kind of clockwork orange reminiscent. Yeah. Like the kids are speaking in some slang in this hyperviolent society. And, she and, almost falls. Yeah, she's climbing across like a metal pipe, uh, like an air conditioner air conditioner duct, and it like rips off the wall and it collapses on the ground and she barely catches on to a fire escape and goes, some robin, I figure. Uh, some Robin. Also, this very much reminds me of Batman Year One, which had not come out yet, where Batman sort of has yeah. that fight on the fire escape and barely hangs on. Right. Um, yeah, Miller's got a lot of tropes and cliches, and he's bad. I think that's our point. Um, well, just like I like these views of like these crime fighters being like lucky. Yeah. Uh, there's um, the, the, Carrie Kelly becoming Robin is part of a thing that happens throughout the Dark Knight thing, which is it's sort of I don't know if it ever is explicitly said, but it implies that like Batman is a myth in this. I mean, not not like untrue, but is like a god, is like an archetype, a role that must be filled. Yeah, like it is bigger than Bruce Wayne. It is like a spirit of vengeful vigilantism that kind of possessed Bruce Wayne and made him take this job. And similarly, someone's got to be Robin. Like, yeah. if Batman exists, then Joker wakes up and somebody's Robin. Like, I, Carrie Kelly is almost maybe, it's not presented like she's possessed. But you can sort of look at it as you read this book like, hey, if Batman's back, somebody is going to realize through almost like a, like a priest hearing the calling of the mm-hmm. Lord that they are Robin. In the Wheel of Time uh, fantasy series Ooh. by Robert Jordan. We're, we're doing a uh, lot of references uh, in this. I forget what they call it, but there's there's some word that represents the characters that are huge and bigger than life, like these, the, the main characters of the story. They're yeah. so powerful and stuff. And whatever that word is, it's something that all the characters around them get swept up in. If you're near this person, you gain powers, and you, you your story gets complicated just because... You're in the wake of this powerful character. Like it's sort of like this. Like, oh, you're around Batman. You're gonna become Robin. You yeah. can't help it, <laughs> you, and you won't even know what's happening. It's. I love Robin. Obviously, I'm a huge Robin fan. I love. Uh, it's the. It's the most famous sidekick of all superheroes. Yeah. It sticks more than any other one. Yeah. It's so interesting. He's so cool. It's such a cool. Yeah, like one. people would not have cared if Bucky never came back for Captain America. But for it also example. makes no sense, right? It's not Batman and Bat Kid. It doesn't make uh, any sense. Uh, there's, it's such a weird first one. It's like, why was it Batman or Robin? It doesn't make sense. And yet, it feels so right, partially just because that's what we're used to. But it just feels like, oh, yeah. And there should be a young kid dressed in yellow named Robin, like a little bird. I mean, a lot of it is the visual looks good, right? Like, yeah. the orange and yellow and green costume of Robin just is a nice relief mm-hmm. against the sort of grim, dark Batman aesthetic. I realize that a lot of great superhero characters it's visuals first like 
Spider-Man is the best character in superheroes, I think, but he's also got maybe the best costume, and the yeah. costume came first. And even when they modernized Robin's costume, they, they kept the yellow, right? Like, they put, like, a black outer shell on his cape because it just so that he could be draped in shadows, yeah. but inside it is this bright yellow. He's still got this bright yellow target aspect. Yeah. He's got pants, but they're green. They're not, like... Dark, it's very interesting. He's jester looking. Uh, there's also, have you seen the Lego Batman movie, Will? I don't know if yes. you've seen that. I've seen it a dozen of times or so with my son. Yes. And there's I a bit where Robin, the Robin character in that is trying to pick a name, and Batman is suggesting names, uh, and I forget what names he suggests. But at some point, he goes, I was thinking Robin. He's like, oh, that's terrible. Like, Batman hates it so much <laughs> in this movie because it's such a not tough. And I think the Robin's like, I'll go like, tweet, tweet. <laughs> and Batman is furious about it because it's, it's such a lightning of his darkness. But that is the fun thing about Dark Knight. Like Frank Miller obviously is this crime novel mm-hmm. guy who wants it all to be tough and super and heightened. But he's also a fan of Batman. And he doesn't he doesn't resist the yeah. the like the tent poles of the Batman mythologies. Like you gotta have a Batmobile, you gotta have a Batcave, you gotta have yeah. Alfred. I mean, the TV show had all these things. This is just the Dark Knight version of them. In the, in the current comics, whenever they want to make Batman tougher, he just goes solo and they get rid of Robin. Yeah. And this is the most dark Batman, and he's got a Robin. Uh, I did some research, Will, and I read the introduction to my collection. Nice. Good uh, research. Yeah. So you turned to the front of the book you were holding and read three pages? Yeah, that's right. Uh, maybe it's like two. Uh, <laughs> I think it was three. Uh, but in it, it's written by Frank Miller, and he talks about that when he was coming up with this comic that John Byrne said to him. is like, you got to make your Robin female. Oh. And presented him with a drawing that Jamie Hernandez My did favorite. of a female Robin, which sort of kicked off the inspiration for what became Carrie Kelly. I mean, John Byrne, there's no end to this dude's good influence on, on comics, yeah. you know? At that time. As, which means that conversation happened at Marvel offices, because that's where they were both uh, working. I think it might have. I, I can't. So one of the conversations you talked about happened on an airplane. Okay. Uh, but I don't remember. Maybe they were going to some My research didn't go that deep. Well, you already have gone above and beyond. So we, we get a glimpse here of Carrie Kelly as Robin. Carrie Kelly's my favorite you know, at Robin. At 30,000 feet. All right. So it's an airplane. Robin uh, must be a girl, he says. He mentions a drawing by Love and Rockets artist Jamie Hernandez of a female Robin. To prove his point, uh, John provides me with a pencil sketch of his own. Okay, so that's what it is. Uh, but it took Lynn Varley to give Carrie Keen Kelly her true voice. So there you go. I won't read more about it. Keen is a Batman name. K-E-E-N. Yeah, uh, K- uh, K- it's K E A N E, which is not, I don't think that's what K- Kathy Keen or whatever. It was uh, like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. At some point. Anyway. Right, right. Um, anyway, so we have Robin barely surviving. We cut to some televisions again. So what we see is um, Gordon's about to retire, and so the, the Gotham City has to replace him. And throughout Dark Knight, Almost all authority figures, certainly all politicians, are, you know, presented as weak-willed cowards who are just desperately trying to please the polls. They refuse to make any decisions. Um, The only people, the only authorities who have any gumption are Gordon and his replacement, who we'll meet later, Alan Yindel. Mm -hmm. They do make hard decisions. But, like, the mayor won't make a decision. He's got this, like, slimy PR guy. But there's pressure of who to pick to replace Gordon. Okay, but we cut away from this to a crime. A a um, ten month old uh, has been kidnapped, and the heir to the Ridley chewing not Wrigley mm-hmm. Ridley chewing gum fortune, um, and the mutants are holding this kid hostage. They're planning on killing him as soon as they get the ransom. But uh, Batman's got other ideas. Right, they're going to get the ransom, and they're they're planning to kill this kid regardless of what happens. 
yeah, and the door scre- like squeaks open uh, slowly. Yes. They shoot a bunch of bullets into it. Yeah. And a bat flies out and attacks one of these uh, mutants. Uh, and then while he's fighting off this bat, something smashes through the window and hits him in the hand, and it's a batarang. Right. Um, and then they realize maybe that Batman's coming. Yeah, oh man, is it him? And one of the mutants is holding an insanely huge automatic weapon. Yeah, we're talking about Rob Lee Field uh, uh, cable gun It's like here. a chain of bullets that being fed into it, but he's just doing it all himself. And his crony is standing in front of the window and the guy with the gun goes spot get out of the way but the dude is too stunned to move and so the guy just shoots through him in order to shoot through the window hopefully hitting batman who they haven't seen yet so he kills his friend shooting through the window yeah just kind of hoping to get Batman. and keep shooting until from behind him the wall bursts open and batman's arms come through the wall grab this guy and pull him back through the wall uh an insane move but really fun um, so now Batman has control of the dude with this huge weapon. Now there's one mutant left who's holding the 10 month hostage and pointing a gun at the kid's head. Back off, man. I'll kill the kid. Believe me, man. I will. Believe me. And then a controversial thing happens, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, Batman shoots this gun. The big Gatling gun. Or Takes whatever. Like one it is. shot. It's like brack. So it seems like a short burst he shoots. One little round. And then the kid, the, the mutant who's holding the kid collapses and the kid is safe and Batman has saved the kid and he goes, I believe you. Yeah. Now. That's a great dialogue moment. Great. Yeah, believe me, me I'll shoot the kid. Me, believe, believe me. me. I, I believe, believe you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, and that's really well performed in the animated cartoon. It's really great. It's, I mean, I, it, this is one of the sequences that I remember well when you yeah. read it, but I had forgotten that Batman fires a gun that's very not Batman. It's very not Batman. And it's presented like he might have killed this mutant guy. Yeah, I take it to mean he shot him like in the shoulder or something. Yeah, we can't imagine class. Batman committing well, murder. Well, especially because throughout this comic, they make a big deal about that he hasn't killed anyone. Right. It's mentioned numerous times. He uses rubber bullets later on in this issue. Lana Lang mentions he hasn't killed anyone until the Joker dies. There's no murder on his uh, on his hands. He he cripples a number of people. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's a maim maniac. I mean, a lot of these people are their lives are ruined. <laughs> probably wish they were dead. Um, the condition he leaves them in, but he doesn't kill them. That's the line on the sand. Um, it's it's it looks like he has shot him here, mm-hmm. but uh, we we just can't. It just doesn't make sense with the Batman mythology. So we have to believe in, something. In else the animated happened. series, he shoots the gun out of the guy's hand and then clocks him with like the 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 back of the gun. It's another good change. And Kevin, I think we should take a little break. Sure, let's do it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics as partnered with Shortboxed. Shortboxed is an app and a website where you can safely buy and sell graded comics online. They're trusted by the most respected dealers and collectors in the industry. As part of our partnership, we're going to be doing periodic giveaways. Uh, Their first giveaway is Dark Knight Returns number one. This is the 2018 foil cover edition, but it's signed by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen, and it's graded 9.8. It's worth over $300 on most uh, things that value those sorts of things. Nice. So to enter this contest, go to shortbox.com slash screw it and enter your email. That's going until March 10, 2022. Everybody go ahead and do it. It's free. No purchase necessary. They will send you a coupon with a $15 of credit if you want to buy something at Shortbox but that's up to you. Yeah, but if you get a coupon, you got to use it. That's a law. You got to use all your coupons. Yeah. Kevin, if you were going to buy something from Shortbox today, what might you go shopping for? You can get anything you want. I'm going to get something 
with a piece of like gold attached to it. Yes, I should. Yes, um, I should have said you can't make those kind of conditions. You have to actually just pick a comic book that you want for the comic itself. I see. So nothing with secret riches or a treasure map. That was my next choice. I don't think they have such things on Shortboxed. I don't know. I haven't looked at every listing. I haven't searched for hidden jewels on the app, but Mm -hmm. I assume that's just not one of the comics they have. Well, if I can't ask for one with a treasure map in it, I will ask for Amazing Spider-Man 18, I believe. Mm. That's the the middle of the cowardly Spider-Man arc. I'm going to dub it right now. Okay. So 17 is the one where he runs away from a fight with the Green Goblin because he hears Aunt May is in the hospital. And 19 is where he suits up again and fights. But 18 is the issue in between where he spends the whole issue like hiding from action. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Because he can't risk hurting himself while Aunt May depends on him so much. And it is so fun. Yeah. Uh, If nothing else, just for Jonah Jameson's pure happiness. I remember it. I mean, when we covered all the Spidey issues, I remember we sort of discovered like, oh, this little three issue run is a great mini arc back in the original Amazing Spider-Man issues. Yeah, uh, it's it's so fun. So I think about it a lot. Uh, mine would be Fantastic Four 232. This is the first issue that was written and drawn by John Byrne. And I love it. I, I love that whole era of Fantastic Four. I love that issue in particular. So it's got kind of personal, you know, significance to me. Diablo is the villain. I just remember thinking it's really fun. I would I would get that issue. You love potion based villains. They're uh, they're my weakness. What can I say? Uh, that is a great run. John Burns whole run. It's just there's something both new and classic about it at the same time. It's just so great. Glad you started talking because I was trying to think of other potion based villains and I was really <laughs> coming up short. I've got to hope there isn't one, but <laughs> I mean there probably is. So everybody, um, please enter the contest and download the app and uh, check it out. Let's get back to the show now. We are back. Batman has saved this kid. We go back to the TV screens and everybody is debating over whether Batman is a good guy or a bad guy. We get a chance to make fun of Bartholomew uh, Wolper again. And he's doing his like liberal, you know, um, bull crap where he blames it on Batman and forgives the villains. And Lana Lang is having none of it. Um, it's really fun. We get a little cut of Robin leaping from rooftop to rooftop. She does like a somersault. Just a somersault, barely catches a ledge and just goes, didn't suck, which is a great line. Yep, so we know she's getting better. Um, we see that the president refuses to chime in on Batman, more politicians being cowards. Uh, then we cut to an incredibly famous sequence, I yeah. think, in this series, where it's uh, all in, the panel is all black. And it's Batman's voice. His speech balloons are blue. And some unnamed villain turns out to be one of the mutants that we just saw mm-hmm. in the kidnapping in pink. Um, in fact, I think oh, it's the one who had the Gatling gun. Right. I looked to see if it was the guy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that he may be killed. That he may be killed. Um, so and there's this conversation where. Batman is basically taunting this guy. I'm the worst nightmare you've ever had. The kind that makes you scream up for your mother. You had a mother, don't you? Every punk should have a mother. And he's basically grilling this guy. Where did you guys get this big weaponry? How are the mutants? Who's funding them? Yeah. Uh, And then the the guy's like, solid, man. I'll tell you. Deal is, no cops, man. I walk. What do you say, man? And And then what comes next is quintessential Dark Knight dialogue. Batman says, I don't think you understand the situation. You're not in a position to negotiate. Let me show you. And the darkness that we've seen turns out to be Batman's fingers covering this guy's eyes. We see the fingers get moved away. And then we see that this dude is being hung by his ankles from the top of like the tallest building in Gotham City. Yeah. 
Uh, and he's just facing down. And Batman is sort of just hanging on by his fingertips, which is very impressive. He's got strong fingertips. Very strong fingertips. He's also super comfy. He just is smiling and laughing. This dude lets out a huge scream. Yeah. Uh, it, it was tough work carrying 220 pounds of sociopath at the top of Gotham Towers, the highest spot in the city. The scream alone is worth it. <laughs> he's a... Batman's a weirdo. <laughs> Batman is a weirdo. Uh, he is the ultimate Clint Eastwood tough guy type, but uh, it really works in the story, I think. And um, he's going to get info out of this dude, and yeah. he's not going to let him we walk. We cut to Robin now fighting crimes. She puts a firecracker in some uh, con artist three-card three Monty, Monty guy and, yeah. and shocks him. Uh, then we get a cut to another one of... Uh, every now and then in Dark Knight, we just see how brutal the crime has become. And there's like a one-page story of this sweet single mother thinking about how she saved all this money to buy a paint can for her this kid. This is the saddest page maybe in the whole book. This is so bleak. Uh, and then two mutants are harassing her. They steal her purse. She begs for it. She begs for it. They drop like a little contraption in the purse and give it back to her, shove her off the train. And she for a second thinks, oh, I got away with it. Like... They're on the train. I'm shoved off of it. I got my purse. The paint can is still in the purse. That's all I care about. And then the second to last panel says, then she feels something heavy and round like an apple in her purse. Cuts to a news anchor. Says, woman explodes in subway station. Film at 11. So we don't see it. Yeah, but it's just very matter of fact even on the news station. Like, yeah, no big deal. And it's the saddest thing. This poor woman scrimped and saved because her son showed an interest in art. Yes. I mean, oh, it's incredibly I, bleak. I, I hate that page. It's too sad. It's too sad. Um, but they're trying to basically show us that Jim Gordon's violence and Batman's violence mm -hmm. is justified. Um, so then we have a, a a page where, again, the story is complicated sometimes in Dark Knight, but yeah. it's Batman holding a body wrapped in an American flag. The body itself is holding a smoking gun. Um, and basically we find out that there is a general who was selling arms to the mutant gang and who now that he's been found out kills himself out of shame right yeah, this is expanded on in the the movie oh really we find out that the guy his his insurance well that's said here it's said there that his insurance wouldn't the come. news anchor on the next page oh, i mean right. it's buried in very dense text but it's shown like bat you see batman confront this guy oh and it's and, and they it's say it in conversation and then batman basically leaves the guy i think batman takes the gun from this guy's hand then leaves the gun on the table and walks away and you hear the gunshot fire as Batman's walking away. Yeah, it goes, uh, Nathan Briggs is dead and a four-star general Nathan Briggs is dead and apparent suicide. Relatives say Briggs had been violently depressed since his insurance company refused to sponsor a rare treatment that may have saved his wife who's dying from Hodgkin's disease. In other news. Yeah, and in the movie it mostly was just like they wouldn't cover it. They didn't make it seem that rare. It was just sort of like my military insurance doesn't cover this. So I needed more money. Right. Also just, I mean, that movie was much later, but it's like, oh, yeah, that's insurance crisis. Yeah. Um, it's in here. This is, it's a violent story, but it is also a populist story. It is kind of like society is failing the common man. Uh, Robin over here, some mutants talking about something happening uh, at the dump. Yeah. She thinks to herself, the dump, I loathe the dump, but it's the mutants and it sounds major. So he might be there. So she heads to the dump. And Batman is heading to the dump. He's found out that something's going down there. Um, he's in the Batmobile. And the Batmobile, that well, we, we don't see it yet. We'll see yeah. it soon. They announced um, Gordon's replacement, Captain Ellen Yindel. Um, she's a super tough cop who immediately issues an arrest warrant for Batman. Or she says that that will be her first act. Yep, she's My first act as police commissioner will be to issue an arrest warrant for the Batman. And because of Batman's recent actions and because Gordon's pro-Batman, a lot of people are like, what's this new commissioner going to think about Batman? Yeah, and nobody in this 
nobody in this story uh, makes a decision or like commits to a side, but the, Ellen Yendel does. The decision they make is the mayor hiring this woman is a bit of a decision. It's saying anti-Batman. Right. The city is now anti-Batman. Um, and that's, you know, that's what it is. That's where the story is going. Uh, we cut to the mutant leader who is even more orc-like than his followers. He's he doesn't so, seem to have a neck. He's so massive. Uh, it's hard to see where how many muscles this guy sort of has stacked onto his body. Um, uh, and the Batmobile shows up. And the Batmobile in this world is just straight up a tank. Right. Um, and there's this little caption line, the Batmobile, that's what you called the dick. Kind of name a kid would come up with. It's a really cool caption. In the movie, they don't say it here because they don't have any narration, and it doesn't make sense for them to say that out loud. Right. Um, so, like, a little bit later... And it's another example of Frank Miller trying to retroactively give better logic to the sillier decisions in the Batman mythology. Well, like, it's, it's also a fun way to say this is the Batmobile, but it doesn't make sense to call this tank a Batmobile. Right. And it's just this is what the Batmobile has evolved into over right. the years. Uh, later on, when he's being taken back to the Batcave with Robin, uh, she makes some comment like, what is this thing? And he goes, Dick called it the Batmobile. So he has a line there so he can say it to Robin. It's just like uh, another one of the, it's a cool line you want it in the movie so you find a place where he can say it out loud. So Batman's in this tank. Uh, he faces the mutant leader. Um, he's using rubber bullets to kind of take out his minions. Honest. Um, yeah, rubber bullets, honest. And he's sort of telling us, the reader. Yeah. Because of this Batmobile shooting bullets, I think it's become a common thing in the movies for the Batmobile to constantly have, like, machine guns. Yeah. So they're not called rubber bullets necessarily in those movies, and I hate it. I hate that the Batmobile has guns in all these movies. Right. Batman shouldn't have guns. He doesn't. If he doesn't hold a gun, why would he be like, I'm okay driving a vehicle that has guns? <laughs> yeah. It's no different. Anyway. So we, we, we get in, just to try to pace ourselves here we get into a battle and he tries he gets out he gets out of the batmobile to fight the mutant leader one-on-one because he needs to humiliate this guy to to kind of like well hurt the morale of the gang he i think he here he does it to prove to himself right doesn't he say yeah he's in the car and he's like uh um i can't think of a single reason to let him live um you know he's he's got got him in his sights of some kind of exactly the kind of body i wish he didn't have powerful without enough bulk to slow him down Every muscle, a steel spring, ready to lash out, and he's young in his physical prime. And I honestly don't know if I could beat him. Uh, and, and, and so he has to prove to himself. So he gets out of the car to face him. We get a nice big splash page of Batman yeah. eager for the fight. Yeah. And basically, he tries to use his Batman moves, and the dude overpowers him and um, beats him. Yeah. Um, and, and like the guy's like smi- Batman like breaks his nose at some point, and the guy just smiles back. Um, it's not really that close. Batman gets some good hits in, but the mutant is never. He's on the so back strong of his heels. that like these little wounds don't slow him down at all, and he, he starts, seems to shatter Batman's arm or something. Starts pummeling him with a crowbar, and then Robin leaps in. Uh, uh, the new Robin, Carrie Kelly, is watching what's going on in disappointment because she sort of was looking up to this Batman, this hero. But she grabs he, the crowbar, uh, jumps on this guy's back, and. And distracts him long enough for Batman to throw something into his face. Chemicals, yeah. And yeah. somehow that gives Robin and Batman enough time to get away. Um, uh, but it's also this weird moment. Once this Robin is on the back of the mutant, Batman, who's now been beaten up, is sort of like hallucinating. He thinks this is Dick Grayson. So he starts. He sees what's happening. He goes, got yourself in deep again, Dick. As if he's not the one in trouble. He, like, he sees, oh, Robin's in yeah, trouble. Yeah, always Robin. in over your head. Robin, the boy hostage. That's what Two-Face calls you. Hey, you hated that. You, uh, you're lucky I'm always here to bail you out. 
But, of course, he is being bailed out by Carrie Kelly. But in, in a way, it's almost like because he saw Robin in danger, it gave him the, enough strength to, to, yeah. to stop this mutant with one of his gadgets uh, to save Robin, who then could save him. And she, like, hauls him into the Batmobile. Um, there's a quick cutaway to the White House, and we see that the president, we don't see it, but it is shown to us through graphic information that the president is talking to Superman and asking him to go quiet Batman down. Just to talk to him. Yeah. I sure appreciate it. Uh, uh, Superman says, sir, I can talk to him, but uh, well, I'd appreciate it. Just hate to see things get out of, well, I just hate that. Give it a shot, son. Your country's counting on you. Yes, sir. Good boy. Yeah. Um, good boy, kind of damning. I mean, I think Superman is sort of shown as the government's lapdog. Yeah, but I also see Superman as like willing. I read this as like Superman is willing to. He doesn't care about how he looks. He doesn't care if he looks like this. If he's in a position to help people, it's worth right. it. It's worth it for Superman to take shit from the president if it puts him in a position to stop nuclear wars. Right, right. Um, I guess what's good about this book is both those views are presented. Right, mm-hmm. Superman is the good man that he always has been and we believe him to be. But you can also see from sort of the Batman Gotham perspective, he's kind of a, a wimp. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so Batman's back in the Batmobile. is equipped with like some kind of medical gurney. Uh, Carrie is um, there and Alfred is talking through some sort of like intercom. Yeah. And kind of says, what should we do here? I'll take you to a hospital. And it's like, no, um, to the cave, but sir, the cave, and Robin comes with us. He just starts calling her Robin immediately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but before he call, before he calls her Robin, uh, Alfred tells Batman, "This young lady was kind enough to help you aboard." Batman says, "I know what you did, Alfred. Where did you learn to set an arm, make a splint, Girl Scouts? What's your name?" She goes, "Carrie, Carrie Kelly, Robin." Oh, that's so, so good. She, like. She says her name and then realizes that's not who she wants to be. So she says Robin. And his response is just, mine's Bruce. Yeah, just immediately tells her his secret identity. They are bonded so fast. I mean, this book is hugely long, but they have to rush through some things. And in a way, it's fun that just that there is a Robin. You're it. You showed up. You saved me. Okay, you got the job. Well, we talk a lot in some of when we read older comics how quickly these things happen. But here it feels earned, partially because Batman is so obsessive and so nuts. (laughs) Yeah. And like, and this moment near death, so like you buy it, and he's already thought she was Dick for a moment. He thought she was Rob. She did save him, Robin. She saved him. He sees her. He needs. He knows he needs this help. He she jumped into battle, it's, got a crowbar, distracted him, did a splint. Yeah, it's very easy to imagine. She's like, wearing Batman's a Robin this, costume. Batman seeing this is like, yeah, this is how I get Robins. <laughs> yeah, Robins just kind of show up, and they're good. Yeah. Um, Little cut to Joker, uh, the liberal psychiatrist who failed to redeem Two-Face wants a shot with Joker. So he's at Arkham begging a chance to help rehabilitate Joker. Mm-hmm. We, the readers, know how good that's going to go. But then we cut to the cave where uh, the very badly wounded Bruce has a little talk with his supernatural entity, the Bat, and gets like recharged somehow. Carrie Kelly looks at the um, memorial of Jason Todd's uniform. Yeah. Uh, there's some Batman-inspired crimes going on, like some nutcases are inspired by Batman to commit violence, and it's implied. And then also a good man who runs a bakery is inspired by Batman to defend himself, and what the comic is saying is that, oh, the nutcases who copy Batman are on the news, but the good ways that he's inspiring people is not on the news. Yeah. Uh, we also see Batman wanders off. Uh, into the back of his cave and he's approached by a giant bat. 
Right, right. The supernatural entity yeah. of the bat kind of recharges him or something. Um, the mayor meets with the mutant leader to negotiate some sort of peace but, treaty. Yeah. Uh, he insists on doing it alone because he's in charge. To show, to show that he's a strong leader. Though he also says it's because of the numbers, I think, in here, maybe. Yeah, the polls say it. Um, so he goes in there, and within seconds, he's dead. The mayor is <laughs> murdered immediately. The mutant leader ripped the mayor's throat out with his teeth, is what we're told. Yeah, it's happened so fast. Uh, Batman comes back from the cave healed? Healed somehow, yeah. The the bat entity has healed him. Uh, the mutants are all super emboldened by how well their mutant leader did against Batman. So Batman knows that he has to go back and knock this guy down. Yeah. Uh, Alfred is basically trying to talk Batman out of taking this stranger, this strange young girl with him. Yeah, a high school girl that he met today. <laughs> yeah. uh, your judgment may be impaired. What are you getting at, Alfred? It's the girl, sir. Carrie. She's perfect. Yeah. She's young. She's smart. She's brave. With her, I might be able to end the mutant nonsense once and for all. You see, it all goes down to their leader. They worship him. She's a sweet young child. She's more than that. Very well, sir. I shall come right out with it. Have you forgotten what happened to Jason? Right. The reason he retired in the first place is Jason Todd was killed. And his response is just, I will never forget Jason. He was a good soldier. He honored me. But the war goes on. I mean, like, I think, like, in that passage, the the grim persona of Batman is created and solidified at mm-hmm. once. Like, the thing that Lego Batman is making fun of, um, the version that Michael Keaton is doing in Tim Burton's movie or Christian Bale is doing at Batman Begins, it's there. Like, that's it. Like, he was a good soldier, but the war goes on. Yeah. We also see the the new commissioner Yindel go to visit the current commissioner Gordon, who has not quite retired yet. He's got like a couple a day days or two left. Yeah, um, she meets with him, and she's basically like, "I'll help." Um, yeah, I'm not in charge. You're in charge, but if you need my help, she's I'm respectful here. to Gordon. Yeah, which is really cool. Like they don't make Yindel seem like a bad no cop uh, at all. She's just anti Batman, and it almost like they make it seem like she's anti Batman because she doesn't know any better. She's um, he's breaking the law. If you break the law, she goes after you. Um, Gordon says, hard to believe that, uh, you know, considering how you got your job, because um, got, she got her job just because she's anti-Batman, right? Yeah. Um, and she goes, yes, Gallagher, I don't like him. She doesn't like the mayor or uh, whoever appointed, not the mayor, somebody the else. The PR guy. Yeah. Um, he loves you, says Gordon. I'm amazed at his judgment. I've read your record. Um, Thank you. I don't think he's read it. He only seemed to care how I felt about Batman. Gordon Gordon just says, let's not talk about Batman, shall we? He's like, we're not going to agree on that. Yeah. Let's not, who cares? Let's not deal with it. And I I love that sequence. Both of them come off really cool in this, uh, the Gordon version of this comic. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Then we see Yindel and Gordon. So, but Gordon does give a talk about Batman indirectly. Yes. He tells a story, and this is kind of a famous part of the Dark Knight comic. He tells a story about FDR. Yeah. About how when he was young, um, Pearl Harbor happened and it spurred the nation to action. But that he goes, you know, now everyone says that like we instantly were brave and wanted to fight the Nazis and the Axis once Pearl Harbor was invaded. But the truth is we were scared. But FDR inspired us. We heard his voice. He was so big. He gave us the courage. Right. Mm -hmm. Then he's like, years later, I heard that he knew Pearl Harbor was going to happen and let it happen because he needed it. And so he let these people on this base in Hawaii get killed mm-hmm. and slaughtered. Um, uh, I'm not saying that's true. That's the, that's the yeah. story that Gordon heard. Well, Gordon's not even saying it's true. He's like, I just heard. He doesn't know if it's true. And he was considering it. And he, he what does that make him think of FDR, his hero? And yeah. he couldn't reconcile it. And he realized that he doesn't need to be able to reconcile it. I couldn't it. judge it. It was too big. He was too big. 
And he's saying, like, that's kind of how I deal with Batman. Like, yeah, he's violent and breaks laws and is a vigilante, but he's it's bigger than me. It's like something that I have to just uh, allow and that we need sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman meets with Gordon right after that and basically asks uh, Gordon for a favor, one last favor. Uh, we don't know what that favor is yet. Uh, we also saw like Robin dressed as a mutant going around telling all the mutants to meet at this pipe in the dump. Yeah. So something Batman is orchestrating things, something, getting everything in motion. Uh, so Gordon goes to see the mutant leader. And the mutant is like, you come to say hello, old man? And Gordon says, no. I came to say goodbye. <laughs> and Gordon leaves, and then the door opens. The, ca- the cell door opens. And they just let him free. And the, the mutant gets out. There's a there's a, a jar uh, vent that he can climb through. He goes through that vent. Somehow that leads to a pipe that leads to the dump. We don't really need to know the logistics. But basically, Batman has set up a fight and between got, him and the mutant leader, and all of the mutants are there to watch. Yeah, he, he got an audience because he needs to beat this guy in front of everyone in a way that it convinces them all that that mutant leader was weak. He needs to, yeah, he needs to outfight this guy. It's just uh, just strongman logic. And this fight scene is phenomenal. <laughs> so uh, now Batman's ready. And he has to feed him, beat him honorably, right? Last time he beat him with, like, Robin hits him from behind with a crowbar and he throws yeah. a chemical in his face. That's not enough to convince the mutants that Batman is stronger. Right. They're, they're having this big fight in this big pool of mud. Uh, and this mutant leader is like, I'll kill you. i show you who rules Gotham City. Batman's response, okay, bo- okay, okay, boy, show me. <laughs> Which is really, really cool. This is all captures up in the movie. This Most of this becomes dialogue. He just says a lot of these things. It's a thing where Batman is explaining to us how he's going to beat this younger, more powerful opponent. Like, very quickly what he does is he, like, rakes his, his the tip of his fingers across his brow, and he says in the caption, uh, I wait for him to try a kick, give him just the right kind of cut above the eyes, the kind that bleeds. And in the movie, a cool thing is the mutant goes, what'd you do? Because Batman sort of just hits him in the forehead lightly. Yeah. And Batman goes, I gave you the right kind of cut, the kind that bleeds. So they get those lines in. Yeah. In a very natural way. It's really, I'm very, I, I keep saying it, but I was very impressed with how they translated this. I agree. It was a really exciting uh, fight sequence in the movie, and it's exciting here. We see Batman basically outthink the guy using his kind of like, you know, fight training. He mm-hmm. does some kind of weird Batman nerve punch to the dude's yeah. left shoulder that I we're told immobilizes his left arm. Um, the dude is still getting in massive hits to Batman. Like, yeah, it's very close. Um, uh, the guy is way stronger and faster than Batman. So, but now he's blinded him. He's got him in mud. He's immobilized his left arm. Then he, I think, um, gets his other arm below the elbow. Yeah, he, he basically hits a nerve punch to take out one arm completely. So the guy has doesn't have his one arm. And then hits him again, like so he loses some feeling in his second arm a little bit. Kill it below the elbow. Uh, he spins at the perfect moment. Goes for my throat. Have to take us down. So Batman basically takes advantage of a spin. Like Batman's fighting like martial arts style. He's like using this guy's strength against him. Grabs him. They both go to the ground. And Batman basically wraps his legs around his leg, the mutant's leg, and breaks it. And then he says um, one of the most, I think, quoted lines yes. in here. I mean, it's a book full of often quoted lines. But do you want to read it, Kev? Sure. You don't get it, boy. This isn't a mud hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Crack! <laughs> yeah. Sound effect. Something tells me to stop with the leg. I don't listen to it. That line is not in the movie, and I kind of wish it was. That's a hard line to say out loud. Um, and so the mutant leader is defeated, humiliated. The mutants... 
um, have seen their leader go down at the hands of Batman and instantly a sect of them break off and form a new gang, the sons, the children of Batman. Yep. Uh, there's immediately, it cuts right to a television screen of one of them going, the mutants are dead. The mutants are history. This is the mark of the future. Gotham City belongs to the Batman. So now he has this sort of vigilante army that he's not controlling, but they're just out there. Um, and that is the climax of this book. He's defeated the mutant army. He's now, he's he's got a gang of people who are without him asking for it. Well, I disagree. That's not the climax. Gordon quit smoking on the last page, and I really feel like uh, – I actually do think it's a cool moment. He smokes, and he says he can't quit, but the moment he doesn't have to deal with being the commissioner, he does. He is able to finally quit smoking. Uh, and then later on, we see Yindel, as she starts being commissioner, start smoking. Oh, that's really fun. I didn't notice that until uh, right now. So in book three, you'll see Yindel start smoking, and she sort of makes a comment about it, like that she, she doesn't smoke. <laughs> Uh, the last lines are Bruce Wayne looking out the window of his manor. The wind rises, tearing dead leaves free. Frogs croak like a cartoon car alarm. Crickets pick up the chorus. A wolf howls. I know how he feels. I mean, it's so over the top and mm-hmm. so fun. Yeah. There's going to be a great moment also uh, when Gordon officially passes the baton to Yendo. We'll talk about that next episode. Basically where he tells her, like, I hope you learn to, to use Batman and not chase him, which is also really cool. Like, Gordon is a really good ex-commissioner. He's not forcing it on her. It's like, you make your own choices. You're a good cop. That's all I care about. Yeah. Here's my advice to you. Uh, Batman is good. <laughs> uh, Ellen Yindel is a great character. She's really great. Um, she's presented as a really tough cop in a sea of people who won't make decisions, and she does make them. Yeah. She believes that she can police Gotham, doesn't and, and, need Batman. And thinking Batman is bad doesn't seem crazy to me. Absolutely not. Um, and if you're someone who believes in the rule of law... I mean, this is like Miles Morales' dad in Spider-Verse. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's, it just shows that she believes in herself, mm-hmm. and she believes in the cops. And yeah. she's shown to be really competent and tough. That, you know, like any good story, almost almost every character in this book is got a weird way that they are defensible. Um, except for Joker, who's a, just a psychopath. Um, yeah. um, is there, this is a really fun issue. This is probably my favorite issue. Just it's very because both because you get kind of the loss and the win. It's almost all its own story. Yeah. Uh, that Batman loses and loses bad. Yes. And then gets back up and goes in and fights this guy and beats him and beats him bad, like convincingly. There's and no there is lo- enough of that like superhero logic, which. Mm-hmm. explains to us the the mechanism and the, the little specific ways that the yeah. dude beats him the first time and then the specific ways that Batman wins the second time. That's yeah. sort of like, you want that in your superhero There's like fights. a line where Batman says, like, I made a mistake. I tried to match him with savagery. Fight like a young man. He's like, just fight smarter. Right. And once he, once he, once he like, isn't trying to prove himself, he's trying to actually stop this guy. Yeah. There's no problem. Batman handles it easily. I guess it's also implied that when he was younger, he might have been able to beat this guy just on pure savagery. Yeah. But now he's a 55-year-old dude. It's really cool. Robin is now part of the team. It's this this issue, I said at the end of last episode that the first issue was the worst issue. That's totally not fair. It's it's an amazing issue. Yeah. But there the fun really kicks in here. Like we got Carrie Kelly in full effect. Yeah. I think Ellen Yindel in full effect helps. Yeah. Um the mutant leader is a terrific villain. And you get a lot more Batman than you get in the first issue because he's basically Batman the whole time. There's no more Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Um so uh-huh. it's a really satisfying issue. The threads are the seeds are being planted for Joker coming back and for Superman having to confront Batman. It's, we see that coming. It's really fun, and it's also is surprising how compelling it is when the villain is sort of this nameless, just evil looking, almost like if you were like, "Hey, draw something evil." Oh yeah, that looks that looks good. That's what'll fight. It's like, oh, what is that? That's nobody. We have no. 
there's no stakes to that character. That character has no connection to Batman, no connection to Gotham. Or the reader. Yeah, uh, there's no history, there's no nostalgia. It's funny, like, Batman famously is one of the most popular and successful rogues galleries yeah. in comics. You've got a lot of, like, villains you could pick from. It It is part of, like, sometimes you get into conversations with other comic book fans, and it's like, oh, every villain needs to have some sort of... Like, this happens in movies a lot, right? The villains need to have some connection. In the original Batman movie, the Joker killed his parents. Right. To make the Joker matter more. It's like, you don't always need that like you can tell a good story and have that villain i mean Die Hard's a great example of this that villain has no connection to bruce willis and that movie's great and that villain is great yeah they're just at odds with each other you, i'm an extraordinary thief you don't need to you don't always need these characters to have emotional connections like it's fun when they do but if they always do you lose something about yeah it. um it's another way that the 80s and, and any time you have a great story or a great creator, I would count Dan Slott and the superior Spider-Man among this, they have the ability to make a new character that mm-hmm. you care about. They're not dependent on the things that were done 20 years before. They know how to use the things that were done 20 years before, but they also have the confidence to bring in new new cards to the uh, to your hand. Yeah. I, I think I mean I think about it with Spider-Man a lot. Like in the third Raimi Spider-Man movie, they make the Sandman the person who killed Uncle Ben – yeah, uh, you know, Green Goblin obviously is his best friend's dad, uh, and then Doc Ock is like his mentor. Like every character has like a strong connection to Peter Parker, right? Not just Spider Man. And those movies, I I even enjoy the third one for what it is. Um, that's all great, but sometimes you don't need that. I guess is my point. Like the mutant, this mutant leader shows. It's like this is a great story. You could put any villain in that spot. Yeah, this could have been Killer Croc or whatever. Right, and doesn't affect us doesn't make the story better or worse it's just the story is strong um one advantage of this villain is it it tells us more about gotham like yeah. the gangs like there's just constantly gangs in gotham like the yeah. kids the the youth of this city are just glomming onto whoever the you know now that batman has established himself that he has a gang but if you had made like this leader bane or killer croc and he had a huge gang yeah does it change anything? No, you could make it work, it I guess. It wouldn't really matter at all. Like, the, the visuals would be a little different, maybe, because it would be some sort of croc visual or Bane visual. It's maybe a little less cluttered to have a new guy. Like, we don't have to yeah. worry about the continuity of some I, killer croc. I prefer it not being connected, but I'm just saying, like, often when you do these stories, what you do is you connect it to something. Bane, I'm the one who broke Batman, and now I'm running these gangs. It's like, okay. Uh, that doesn't add anything to this story necessarily. I think this is pre-Bane's existence, but yeah, um, so he couldn't have been there. Uh, but he has like a Bane feel to me. Calendar uh, Man, Calendar Man, of course, everyone's favorite. Has a little uh, cameo in uh, Suicide Squad. Oh yeah, yeah, um, and in the video game. Well, I'm more of a movie guy. You're more of a video game guy. That's how we are different. That's how we're different. So, um, all right, we'll come back next Dark Knight episode, whenever that is, and we're going to do the Joker issue, Hunt the Dark Knight. Oh, uh, email us. Screw it, comics. <laughs> screw it, comics um, at Gmail. Twitter us. Tweet us. Yeah. Screw it, comics on Twitter. And yeah. Instagram is screw it, comics. Subscribe, review, rate, love us. <laughs> love us. Be our gang. Be children. Children mm-hmm. of the milksops. Um, all right. Uh, see you next episode. Bye. Bye. Comics.
I'm Mark David Christensen. I'm Kate Thompson, and together we host Ah oh, Crap, a Hellboy podcast. The show dedicated to the world of the half-demon hero created by Mike Mignola and published by Dark Horse Comics. Our show returns this February 16th as we continue every Wednesday to make our way through the pages of Hellboy, BPRD, Witchfinder, and many more related comic book titles. Plus, we discuss the various Hellboy live-action and animated films, novels, and other media adaptations. And occasionally, we're joined by various guests that share our passion. Previous guests include Tad Stones, the creator of Darkwing Duck and Hellboy Animated, Joshua Dysart, writer of BPRD's 1946, Hector Navarro from Nerdist Book Club and just a big old fan, Jonathan Marks Beravecchia, comic book artist and also friend of the podcast, Cody Ziegler, writer of Amazing Spider-Man and other Marvel comic books, and many more guests. So tune in. February 16th and every Wednesday to All Crap, a Hellboy podcast on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts.